It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 445 of Locked On Raptors for Sunday, January 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network with team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA Daily with a bunch of different hosts from across the network chipping in there, weekly contributions from Ben Golliver and Sam Amick. On the NFL side, we've got all 32 NFL teams covered with a Locked On show as well. Make sure you're checking out the corresponding shows for the teams that are playing in the playoffs. If you want to hear a recap of Saturday's games, whether you're a Texans or Colts or... Who the hell played? Uh, Cowboys? Cowboys? Seahawks? Yeah, those, that was the other game. Cowboys or Seahawks fan, you want to hear the aftermath of that game, make sure you're checking out their Lockdown podcast as well. Tons of great stuff on the network for you, so please make sure you're checking it all out. And if you find a host on the network that you, that you want to subscribe to, support, all that stuff, please find their show on whatever podcast platform you use, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all those places, please subscribe, rate, and review if you can, and it is uh, very much appreciated. It's good for algorithms, good for rankings, good for making us more visible, so thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, we have tons of reviews on the Lockdown Raptors page. I think we're leading the network right now, so please uh, add to the lead. We're, we're just like running up the score right now. Please help me out, and I would very much appreciate it, and thank you if you've already done it, and thank you for you doing it in the future if you are going to do that. That was not a sentence, but whatever. All right, on today's show, it's just me going solo uh, to talk about the Raptors 123-116 win over the Milwaukee Bucks on Saturday night. I had to watch this game in full on Sunday morning. I watched like the last six or seven minutes or so uh, live last night after I got home from work. But man, was this ever a rousing victory for the Raptors. It was really, really impressive. And the way that they kind of counterpunched the Bucks all night long... Down Kyle Lowry, down Jonas Valanciunas, obviously, and with the bench playing one of the worst games I can remember the bench playing, combining for just five points total, uh, shot just to combine one of, I think, 15 uh, among the bench players. It was, you know, it was the starters that got it done, and the way they played in this one was really, really encouraging, and I think some broader things can be taken out of this game to sort of look forward to a potential playoff matchup against Milwaukee that I think might lean sort of an encouraging direction if you're a Raptors fan. Uh, So we'll get into all that on today's show. Also, maybe tee up a little bit of what's to come on Saturday night against the Indiana Pacers. Kawhi Leonard is not going to play. That came out this morning. Kyle Lowry's questionable. Uh, This is probably going to be a loss for the Raptors. It's a time zone change. You're coming back to Toronto to play at home against the Pacers after being in Milwaukee last night. Does not feel like a game the Raptors are going to win. Bit of a schedule loss, so I, I can't see the harm in leaving Kawhi out. And he had to play a really hard 38 minutes last night, and we'll get to why. Uh, I guess right now. So, yes, the Raptors win 123-116, and this was a, a back-and-forth game, kind of a game of runs, as most games tend to be, but this one kind of a little bit more pronounced. The The Bucks came out really strong. I think they were up like 18-10 early on, and the Raptors kind of looked a bit listless. They looked kind of like they did in the game against the Spurs on Thursday, and then they took a timeout, came out, and then looked really, really good pretty much from then on out with some spells here and there with mostly bench players on the court where it didn't look so great, but... 
I thought for the most part, the Raptors looked pretty good from about the six or seven minute mark of the first quarter, quarter onto the end of this game. And uh, I guess we'll start with Serge Ibaka. He was kind of, to me, the guy that saved this game a little bit. He had 25 points, nine boards, five assists as well, and also had one block. And that block he had was an insane chase down block of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Came back at the other end and hit a three on the same possession. A five-point swing orchestrated entirely by Ibaka and with an assist to Pascal Siakam uh, on the fast break that ensued after the block. Just a, uh, a really, really impressive night from Ibaka. And the thing that was with him is his contributions were so critical because... The times where he really stepped up and was a big part of the offense were the times where the Raptors desperately needed it. So end of the third quarter, start of the fourth. Actually, start of the fourth, I guess, is where you want to start. The Raptors were up 91-82 going into the fourth, and you know the, the Bucks were making a little bit of a run, and every single time it seemed like the Bucks were about to sort of change the tenor of the game, take over a lead or whatever, Ibaka came down and did something, whether it was hit a mid-range jumper or he had a really big and one as well. He missed a free throw, but he had a really big and one after the Bucks, I think, made it 90 391 Toronto. Uh, Ibaka came down, hit the end one, and just kind of changed the mood of the arena. The Bucks eventually took the lead, 96-95 on a Giannis 3, but without those Ibaka minutes at the start of the fourth, playing with the bench for the most part, I think Danny Green was out there for a bit of it as well, but he was out there with Norm OG and DeLon Wright as well, who none of those three guys had good games whatsoever. Norm 0 5 for two points. OG 1 of 6 for three points. DeLon 0 4, no points, just two assists for him. Uh, really rough game. For the bench, I mean, Norm chipped in four assists, which is nice. I, I I can't imagine, I don't even remember when he got those four assists. I can't really envision him finding players who were hitting shots in those minutes that he was on the court, but it was mostly Abaka and Danny Green with that, that were doing that when he was in that bench unit with them. Uh, so I guess that's the one shining light of the bench unit, but otherwise it was a, just a disaster. And Abaka was sort of the, the one source of offense in that lineup that really helped to sort of it didn't stop the Bucks from making a run by any means. The Bucks still made a run to start that fourth quarter to make it very interesting. But Abaka's buckets were so crucial to stopping the bleeding and just keeping the Raptors in tight and just sort of they're in survival mode, right? They're kind of killing time, waiting for Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam to come back in the game. Uh, Kawhi came in with 8.38 left in the fourth quarter because, like, it was getting pretty dire after Ibaka made those buckets. It was like, okay, we got to get Kawhi back in this game. And that, you know, I think is probably the reason why Kawhi's not playing tonight against the Pacers, just because that's a long stretch. Usually he'll come back in around six, six and a half minutes left in the fourth. You know, there have been some really great instances of the bench having great runs at the start of the fourth quarter to kind of keep things afloat and keep it so you don't have to bring Kawhi in too soon. But they brought him in with eight and a half minutes left, and that, I think, kind of spelled doom for his chances of playing on Sunday night on the back-to-back. Um, we'll get to that in the last segment. We'll talk about the sort of stuff around the, the, the Raptors talking about his back-to-backs and the sort of the hinting and then going back on their word, all that stuff. But back to the game itself, I, yeah, I thought Ibaka did a great job of sort of stemming the tide there. And it's interesting. So they were talking, I was watching the Bucks broadcast because I wanted to absorb all of the Bucks' uh, elation that gradually descended into sadness and gloom by the end of the game because uh, their broadcast, honestly surprised at how homerific the Bucks' broadcast is. Uh, it used to not be that bad. Uh, Steve Novak on the call, shouts to Steve Novak, but he was uh, extremely, uh, I don't know, affronted by some of the calls that went Kawhi Leonard's way, for example. He used the phrase, he's out there watching European soccer uh, to talk about Kawhi's flopping, which I've never really noticed Kawhi to be a flopper. He had one where he threw his head back last night and that kind of incited Steve Novak. But but the Bucks broadcast was talking a lot about how the Bucks were gonna live with Ibaka taking mid-range jumpers and we're now three games into this to the Serge Ibaka destroying the Milwaukee Bucks experience and I wonder if at some point the Bucks are gonna try to sort of change things up a little bit to sort of facilitate 
a different shot chart for the Raptors as opposed to just allowing Serge Ibaka to pick and pop a million times from 18 feet, which is essentially a layup for him this season. I, I wonder if they're going to change that up or just hope that maybe the sort of regression to the mean on those mid-range shots will eventually come around. But it's been three games, and Ibaka's been fantastic in all three against Milwaukee so far, and he's kind of had all of the space and all of the time in the world to get his looks up. Um, I thought it was nice to see in this game Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet finally having some chemistry. Uh, there was a play early in the game, like first couple minutes, where uh, Abaka Van Vliet ran a pick and roll, and Abaka or Van Vliet threw it away. There was a turnover, went back the other way for a Giannis dunk, and I was like, "Oh, here we go again with the Abaka Van Vliet pick and pop combination or pick and roll combination having absolutely zero chemistry." But from then on out, it was really, really crisp between those two. Uh, Van Vliet was doing the Lowry thing where he was throwing the nice little pocket passes. He had one, I think it was actually a miss in the fourth quarter, but he threw this one kind of he wrapped the pass around a dude uh, in the pick and pop, and Abaka had a great look. That was one of the ones that popped out, but uh, I thought that was a much improved thing that we haven't really seen so far from the Ibaka Van Vliet uh, combination so that was encouraging to see and I'm sure once Kyle Lowry gets back we'll stop seeing that combination be on the floor so heavily uh, often together but uh, it's encouraging at least in the meantime that they have actually kind of shown a bit of a spark the last game or two I think Uh, it's been a little bit improved there so that's good and nice and Ibaka overall like just so impressive in this game. Also, the five assists. We should probably talk about the five assists. The Raptors had really crisp ball movement, to, ball, ball movement tonight, and like the whole starting lineup was really a part of it. Danny Green was credited with no assists, which seems weird. He had a few really great passes uh, that ended up, I guess, popping out. He had one to, I think, Siakam in the corner. That was a beautiful driving kick. Um, but I thought, overall, the entire starting lineup just kind of moved the ball with a plum, it was great, and you had Abaka with five assists, Siakam had three, uh, Leonard had six, and Van Vliet had eight, and they were just kind of dishing it around and weren't concerned about who was ending up taking the shots. It was just get the best look, and that's you know they they got they got the best looks, and and you know everyone shot the lights out as a result. Raptors overall shot fifty one percent, forty five percent from deep in this one, and they, they had twenty eight assists on forty two made field goals. That's like a seventy percent assist percentage, which is great to see considering that you know the lineup without Kawhi Leonard in there. Sorry, without Kyle Lowry in there has been kind of sticky and not, you know, they've had a lot of games with like sub 50 assist percentages. So this was nice to see. Um, and I thought Ibaka was a big part of that. There was a play late in the game where he had been cooking the Bucks so uh, amply that the Bucks decided to double him in the post. And Ibaka threw this like gorgeous skip pass over to the weak side wing to Fred Van Vliet. He hit the three. He was five of eight from deep on the night. That was great to see as well. Had a couple pull-ups, sort of vintage Lowry threes too, which kind of, uh, res- it kind of made a resemblance to Lowry, which I think is maybe why the offense looked a little bit better, just because he was kind of throwing that little threat of a pull-up three into the mix. But for a Ibaka to find Van Vliet on that pass, and he had a couple other great passes as well. Uh, he hit, uh, I think uh, he got received another double, I think maybe in the third quarter. He hit Siakam on a cut, and Siakam got, I think, an and one out of it. It was uh, it was a really great passing performance from Ibaka, and that is going to be ultimately the sort of the, the teller of if Ibaka is going to be on the court at all in, in really important situations is, is he going to be able to make those secondary plays when the ball comes to him and he's forced to make decisions with it because teams are selling out to stop Kawhi or Kyle or whoever else. You know, he's probably like fourth on the totem pole, maybe even fifth behind Danny Green in terms of guys who have to, you know, make actively, you know, smart decisions with the ball. But if he's going to be, you know, a go-to center who's setting screens all the time, like that is going to be a thing that's you know, foisted upon him, right? You know, he's not going to be 
asked to like create offense in a typical situation. But in those sequences where maybe he's resetting a, a screen for for Leonard or Lowry, and teams are going to sell out to stop that, like they're going to ask Serge Ibaka to do the Draymond Green thing and make plays in that four on three situation. And tonight or Saturday night was a nice little example of what he's capable of when he's making those crisp, smart decisions. Obviously, he had a nice assist, I think, on Danny Green's winner against Miami as well a couple weeks ago. So we've seen some nice playmaking flashes from Ibaka in a way that we haven't seen before. And maybe that's just part of him being set, being a center. And sort of that's another part of the the job when you're a center is you have to be able to make those sort of secondary offensive creation plays. And maybe it's just because he's doing it more often, he's getting a bit more repetition doing it this season. Uh, maybe that's leading to better results. So that's uh, really, really great to see. Serge Ibaka was just so fantastic in this game. Uh, before we get to the other guys who were awesome in this game, I just want to tell you to make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Locked On NBA Net. And if you follow that account, you don't have to worry about follow, following all the different uh, hosts around the network. You can just follow that one account, all the basketball-related tweets, all the fresh podcasts, all the uh, breaking news discussion or whatever is going on at, at a given time. It's just going to be retweeted into your feed by the Locked On NBA Net account, and you won't have to go follow everyone. It's very, very easy to keep your cl- feed clean and all that stuff. If you're like me, you don't like following a bazillion people, you try to cut it down. You have purges regularly where you're unfollowing people just because you're like, what am I getting out of this? You know, you're just going to follow out Locked On NBA Net and get all the hosts in one feed, uh, and it's really, really great for breaking news, in-game stuff, like I said, and you get all the fresh podcasts right there. Also, if you are on Instagram, follow at Locked On NBA Net or at Locked on NFL Net, and we're posting little uh, 30 to 60 second clips of podcasts from the from the biggest stories of the day. If you want to listen to a full version of the podcast, feel free. You can go look, click on the link in the bio or whatever it is, uh, or you can just get the little condensed take that is in that Instagram post. Livens up your feet a bit. You get a little basketball while you're looking at all your friends being uh, fictionally happy, and uh, and that that's a very nice thing as well. So at Locked on NBA Net and at Locked on uh, NFL Net on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you check them out. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what else happened in this game that was good for the Raptors? I guess let's talk Pascal Siakam. Actually, let's just talk Siakam and Leonard in general. Uh, Both combined for 60 points, 30 points each. Siakam, another career high, 11 of 15 shooting, 3 of 5 from deep, which is... uh, extremely juicy and exciting. He's also hitting threes from above the break now, which is kind of crazy. He's shooting 36% from deep on the season. It's almost becoming real, and it's uh, it's terrifying. I think he's at 44% from the corners on the season as well. That is almost more exciting than his, you know, just raw 36% because a lot of the threes he's going to get are going to be in the corner, and if he's just going to be left open at a, as a 44% shooter from the corners, that is going to be some very easy offense that teams are going to have to adjust, adjust for, and maybe we'll stop seeing examples like we saw last night where the Bucks were just laying off him intensely, uh, especially Ursan Ilyasova. We'll get to poor Ursan Ilyasova in a second. Uh, and then Kawhi was very quiet, I thought, in the first half of this one, but came to life in the second. Uh, and then the fourth quarter was just fantastic. Kind of put it away himself uh, with some really great... I mean, first of all, the, the Raptors were down 96-95. I think it was... 
I want to say it was Green made a three to put him up 98-96. And then on the ensuing possession, for some reason, the Bucks got, like, a little crazy, threw, like, a big outlet pass. And, you know, Leonard just, like, picked it off like a strong safety going back and grabbing a, a deep pass. Like, it was not even close to the to the, to the intended receiver of the pass. And Leonard just picked it off and, uh, and brought it back the other way. He missed a shot, got an offensive rebound, went and took it to Tony Snell, ISO, and scored. And I guess this is the thing I want to talk about is the ISO stuff. So the Bucks are a very good defensive team. We know this. Like they, they, they play the Mike Budenholzer system like the Atlanta Hawks did back in the day where they're just on a string at all times. They give really good help defense, really smart rotations, switch pretty well, and then they're kind of in unison. And they're, like, they're all very long and stuff. And so they can switch pretty easily across most positions aside from, I guess, center with Brooke Lopez out there. Uh, more like Shook Lopez. He was bad last night, real bad last night. But that's besides the point. So the Bucks are going to be difficult to go up against in the playoffs obviously, but the Raptors have a bit of a counter to that in that they are really good isolation-wise. Kawhi Leonard's one of the best ISO players in the league. I know people get upset when he ISOs a lot because it's kind of shades of DeRozan, but it's a more efficient version of DeRozan, and it's a really easy way to kind of do a cheat code to get buckets instead of having to run these you know orchestrated sets and all that stuff. Just throw it to Kawhi. He can go take it to someone and score because there are very few guys in the league who can guard him one-on-one. And that is kind of the thing that intrigues me about this matchup is that the Bucks. While they're very good as a team defense, no one really scares me as an individual defender outside of Giannis. And Giannis is incredible, and throwing Giannis on Kawhi or whoever is killing you might just be the solution for the Bucks. But I do think the Raptors kind of have a bit of an advantage in that there's they have such good ISO players, whether it's you know Pascal Siakam, who's really becoming a very good ISO player to really take advantage when teams are gonna sag off of him and he's using the the runways teams are giving him to create looks. I mean, a couple times last night he drove into Ilya Silva uh, and either scored over him or he would draw the double and he'd find a, a guy in the corner or something like that. He had a couple beautiful sequences like that. Actually, a big three that happened late in the game. This might have been the Danny Green three, if I'm not mistaken, or it was a big three nonetheless. It might have been a Fred three or something like that. Uh, but, you know, Siakam goes baseline, draws the double, finds a guy in the corner. It gets swung up, and I think either Green or... Yeah, it was Green, I think, hit the three. to, And it was just like, that's that's perfect. That That's like Siakam making the smart read. He's not feeling himself too much offensively. He's not, like, trying to get his own. Like, he's just making the smart read, and he didn't get an assist on it, but, like, he's the reason that three was created. And so... Like, he's kind of doing a lot with his own ISO possessions, and I I wonder when teams are going to start maybe changing the way they defend him, putting better defenders on him, because he's just cooked the sort of meager defenders that most teams have thrown at him this season. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova, probably the number one victim of his spin move and just sort of his general array of skills when he gets on the roll um, and sort of is is sort of barreling at you with all of his speed. And if he's going to be hitting threes that the clip is hitting lately, like, that's just going to throw teams for a loop as well. So you have Leonard, you have Siakam, You have uh, Kyle Lowry, who I think when he's healthy has been a fine ISO player this season. Obviously, it's not ideal, but like... my point is that the Raptors, I think, can kind of get around the Bucks being this insanely good team, defensive team, uh, by just sort of icing a little bit more and just sort of saying, hey, like, we'll have a guy take a guy one-on-one. We believe in Fred Van Vliet's ability to break down Eric Bledsoe off the dribble. We believe in Kawhi's ability to take Chris Middleton or Tony Snell. Uh, if they're not going to throw Giannis at him, if they're going to play Giannis at center or whatever it is, like, that is a, a way the Raptors can go about kind of you know, bludgeoning the Bucks and Siakam as well. Like, they just haven't found a matchup that works against Siakam just yet. 
And the way that I think, you know, Kawhi and Siakam and Ibaka have all gone off against the Bucks this season, that really encourages me for a playoff series because those one-on-one matchups I don't think are super favorable. Um, it's when the Raptors probably try to run some more intricate stuff, you know, off-ball screens, uh, a lot of high screen and roll action. Like, that's when the Bucks are going to really succeed because they are so good on a string and are so good at switching and are so long across the board. Uh, but the ISO stuff kind of gives me some encouragement. This is going to be a really fascinating series uh, tactically, I think, if it ever does come to pass, just because there's a lot of things at play and a lot of sort of advantages both teams have. And the Milwaukee side of things, I mean, Giannis himself is absurd. And I guess we can talk about this as well. So Giannis last night has 43 points on 16 to 25 shooting, goes three of five from deep, which is truly, truly chilling. And whenever he hits threes, it's uh, it's highly disconcerting. Uh, but he did it last night. He went three of five from deep. He did 18 boards as well, four assists, six turnovers. The four assists, six turnovers thing is the kind of where I'm looking at and saying, hey, like this is encouraging. It's so bizarre to say that a guy who went for 43 and 18 was defended well, but I think the Raptors did a pretty decent job. And there were some really interesting and exciting sequences where the Raptors did a damn good job guarding him in transition, which is pretty much the most impossible thing to do in the world. But the Raptors, unlike most teams, have the horses, I think, to kind of contend with Giannis because... With Giannis, you need to have size and quickness. And that's not like a thing that you have a lot of when it comes to defenders. Like the Raptors are big. They're really, really big. Kawhi is enormous. Pascal Siakam, not insanely strong, but is really big and long. You know, Serge Ibaka, also pretty big and has done a pretty good job of sticking with Giannis in the past. Uh, OG Ananobi's also done a really good job one-on-one against him. Like they have some horses that other teams just don't have because they're just smaller, whether it's like Boston, for example. Like I don't trust any of their wings to guard because they're just a little bit smaller than what the Raptors have. Like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. Like, these guys are just a little bit too too small to hang with Giannis. Marcus Morris is probably their closest approximation to what the Raptors have, like, four of. And that is, uh, that's a really encouraging thing for the Raptors to have. And it's a nice little sort of you know, way to pick up a few extra possessions where Giannis doesn't kill you. And that, I think, could be the difference in a game in the regular season or the playoffs. I mean, this was ultimately a three-possession game. There were a few possessions in this game, and you can't, you know, extrapolate and sort of say these possessions were the reason the Raptors won, but everything counts against Giannis because he's so efficient and so terrifying and is able to just sort of take over a game on his own. Anytime you can sort of dissuade him from doing the things he would normally do, that is a win for you. And honestly, him taking five threes in the game, the threes he hit, yeah, they're just like backbreaking because it's like, God damn it, this guy's going to hit threes now too. But like, you're happy with him taking those threes because they're not him running to the basket and dunking on your ass or, or you know, picking up an and one or something like that. Like those are a lower percentage shot for him. So you're willing to let him let those fly, even though he's like 40% over the last five games. And if that's the case, it's fucking over. But it's I, like it's going to take a lot more time for me to believe that Giannis is now a three-point shooter than five games or one game against the Raptors. Um, so I guess my point is like, if you can use your sort of stable of defenders to, you know, just shave a couple extra possessions of Giannis kicking your ass off the board, that is going to make such a huge difference. And if also you can sort of force him to take over the offense and just be the guy who's looking for shots all the time, it's kind of the way you defend LeBron, right? And like, it was always a question, like, do you sell out to stop LeBron or do you just let him get his and, and just sort of limit the contributions of the other guys? And I think I usually came down on the side of just let LeBron go for a bazillion shots and try to let him carry the offense. Don't send help if you can avoid it. And then you sort of, you know, do you just trust that the role players will miss their shots when they come to them or you just defend them really well to make it so it's the most optimal sort of 
you're, you're trying to force them to miss as many shots as possible. You're not allowing them to take threes just because you're selling out to stop LeBron. I think that's kind of the side I usually came down on that being the better way to defend LeBron. And with Giannis, I think that's probably where I'm going to come down to is just like let Giannis cook. If he hits threes, like it's over anyway. It doesn't matter. The world is going to end no matter what. So that's just, if that's how he's going to beat you, so be it. That's fine. I would rather that than him just like diving into the teeth of the defense. You sent two or three help guys, and then like, oh my God, he's picking him, picking him apart. And Brooke Lopez is raining threes on your head, or Chris Middleton's killing you with threes. Like I, I would rather that. And we saw, I think, in that game against the Bucks on December 9th, like. The thing that killed the Raptors late was they sent too much attention Giannis's way. Malcolm Brogdon got some wide-open threes, and they ended up winning the game on those threes. So I think the Raptors did a good job last night of forcing Giannis to be sort of the the main, like the one, two, and three options in the offense. And if he's going to put up 43 points on 16 to 25, that that's fine. If you can limit the rest of the team to being you know subpar, that is, I think, where you have to sort of beat the Bucks. And the Raptors have the individual defenders that I think you can kind of get by doing that with with OG and Pascal and Serge and Kawhi. Like if you sort of cycle those guys, no one's ever going to get too tired because of the only guy who can guard them. Uh, they, they've all had some level of success against Giannis, so that I think is a really encouraging and nice thing uh, going in the Raptors' favor from uh, the first three games I've seen against the Bucks so far this year the fact that you can get stops on him in transition more than once is uh is no despite it's like a fucking miracle man he's insane uh and absolutely terrifying and again the threes that he was hitting late in that game were just uh you know totally chilling and, and freaky and you know if he starts hitting those it's over he's the best player in the world and that's it so uh there's nothing you just put your hands up and say all right dude uh you you beat me this time if that's what's gonna happen uh, some other notes from this game. Uh, let's just quickly talk about the bench thing again. I was going to circle back around to this. Um, so the starting lineup in this game, they were really, really good. They had 26 minutes played together because Nick Nurse had nothing else that was working for him. So we rode that into the ground. And again, is probably the reason we're not seeing Kawhi tonight. In those 26 minutes, 149.1 offensive rating, 107.3 defensive, and a 41.8 net rating. They were insanely good, and uh, this is also kind of backed up by how they've been all season. Obviously, that's an extreme example, but for the most part this year, that lineup has been really good. They're plus 13 or so net rating with 120 offensive rating. Like they're not having any trouble scoring, even if it seems a little bit stickier than maybe you know, sort of. And like last night's going to boost up their numbers. Obviously, it's about 26 of their total. 160 minutes played, but it's still the second most used lineup by the Raptors. And again, 120.7 offensive rating, 107.2 plus 13.5. They've been really, really good and have been kicking teams' asses, and it's just been the bench that's been a problem. And honestly, the way this lineup's played with Fred VanVleet as the point guard, it's kind of adding more to the sort of uh, argument that you should be playing Kyle Lowry with the bench. And I'm not saying start Fred over Kyle. That's idiotic. But I would say that when Kyle does come back, the way this lineup's played with Fred at the front of the rest of the starters kind of allows you to maybe bring Kyle out a little bit earlier in first quarters, around the six, seven minute mark, have him start the fourth quarter or second quarter and fourth quarter with the bench. So you're kind of solving the bench problem, I think, if you put Kyle with that bench unit more often because, I mean, it's not the same as like the typical Lowry and bench units of the past because I think maybe you'd be looking at a little bit less in terms of like... Um, you know, you'd be looking at less shooting and, and like defense, I think maybe, because you'd have, I mean, not defense, they'd be good defensively, what am I saying? But if you have like Kyle DeLon, say Norm, OG, and JV as your bench unit, where you start Kyle with them at the start of the second and fourth quarters, like that should be a pretty good lineup. I mean, it's it's a little bit shooting star because DeLon's been a little bit iffy and Norm is always up in the air and OG is, you know, has not been very good shooting either and JV has had his problems as well and is not really a shooter naturally. He's kind of more of a gimmick shooter than anything. Um, you know, that would be 
a bit of a tricky fit, I think, offensively, but it would be a very good defensive lineup, I would think, and would kind of be able to maybe replicate some of what it, the, the bench did last year, where they turned the defense into pretty easy offense. Uh, and Kyle himself, like when he's on the court, things good things happen. You can also maybe experiment a little bit with the lawn not being very good lately, and that sucks. I hate it, and this pains me to say, but maybe you throw Miles out there, give him a second chance to get in that lineup, maybe play Miles with the lawn. In the meantime, if 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 Kyle's back before Jonas, maybe you throw a little Chris Boucher in its center uh, as the backup center there. Maybe you can get something like a Jakob Pertle or just like worst version of Serge Ibaka look going there and you have a hit. I mean, he's not afraid to shoot. He's a good three-point shooter. Um, maybe that's the way to go. I just think Kyle with the bench... There's way more credence to that idea now, seeing how Fred has looked with the starters, that you can really sort of manage the rotation. So A, you're never having one of Kyle or Kawhi off the floor, and B, you're kind of papering over the problem that you've had all season long, where the bench has been complete ass with Kyle, who just has always made benches extremely good and not ass. So uh, that's something I'm looking forward to when Kyle does come back, and you have Kawhi and Kyle playing at the same time. Uh, Kyle's questionable for the game against Indy, so we're not going to, I mean, and Kawhi's out, so we're not going to see them play together just yet, but it's got to be coming soon. I'm really excited for when it does happen, because it's long overdue to see those guys play together. It's been like a month since they have, um, so... I, uh, I I relish the opportunity to see that, but when it all comes together, this time with Kyle out, I think has kind of given Nick Nurse enough data, 160 minutes of it, uh, to say that the lineup with Fred and the starters is pretty good and can withstand if you're going to pull Kyle out and switch Fred in a little bit earlier. So uh, that's another notice note that I had from last night's game. Also, uh, the Greg Monroe thing is not working out super duper well right now. He was scoreless last night in six minutes, and Nick Nurse was pretty much doing everything he could to not play him late in the game uh and he even brought a lineup that i'll call from now on the monroe fuck no lineup where he played og at center next to danny green in the front court with fred norm and uh, uh who was he playing with fred norm og danny and uh blah, blah, blah. Oh, it was Fred, Norm, DeLon, Danny, and OG. And yeah, so you have Danny playing the four. OG is like the screen setter and playing center. It was super weird, but I think it was kind of spoke to uh, Nick Nurse's desire to not play Greg Monroe ever again in that matchup. And uh, and also, you know, they put Siakam in at center a little bit as well. I think people were calling for Chris Boucher. Uh, but like, if with that game, considering the tiebreaker implications, and it's so huge the Raptors won that game, uh, at least they can tie the season series the next time they play the Bucks, which I think is later this month, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think on the 31st. So yeah, that, that'll be a big game in Toronto on the 31st. But um, just the, the with the implications of the game, also I think the psychological importance of this game, you don't want to let the Bucks win three in a row against the Raptors, regardless of the baked-in excuses for the Raptors, you know, the, the reasons, you know, the injuries and all this stuff, Kawhi not playing the first game. Like, you don't want to be 0-3 against the Bucks this year, considering that this is going to be a matchup you're going to play at some point. You don't want Bucks fans being too fat and sassy. Um, so I didn't mind the decision to just play Siakam at center and play in place of Boucher in the second half and say, all right, we'll just play super Boucher in Siakam and just have him out there. Like, I do think in lower, lower leverage matchups, we'll see a little bit of Boucher get some run here just because Monroe has kind of not been super great. Um, and we'll see, you know, again, I think as a bench piece who can play when Kyle comes back to sort of give a little bit a, a more of an offensive punch to that unit, that'd be kind of exciting to see. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. His 45 days, the, the clock is ticking too. Um, and I wonder if he's going to get converted to a regular contract at some point here to fill that 15th roster spot but we will see in due time, I am sure. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much all I got on the game itself. Uh, quickly before we finish, I want to remind you that if you have a smart speaker, you can listen to the Locked On Raptors podcast or any other Locked On podcast on your smart speaker. Just say, "Hey Alexa, play Locked On, play podcast Locked On Raptors," and it will play for you. I wonder if Alexa in my other room heard me hear that heard me say that, and in the other room Locked On Raptors is going to start playing. I hope not, because that would be annoying, and I'll have to go turn her off. But you can do that with your smart speaker. It's super duper easy, and uh, you, you never have to like touch a button to play the podcast again just say it to your smart speaker and it will play it for you we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed 93 of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast just go to indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash podcast terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed all right, let's uh, wrap this thing up here. Uh, we'll talk about the Kawhi rest thing, I suppose, to, to close out the pod. Uh, Kawhi's not going to play against Indy, as we talked about off the top, uh, and I think it makes some sense. Saturday, Nick Nurse did say that they were planning to play Kawhi, but things are fluid, right? And I think, you know, maybe it's a little frustrating to sort of see the end of the tunnel when it comes to Kawhi sitting back-to-backs, but it's still the same argument for resting him on back-to-backs as it's always been. It's always about the long game with him and keeping him, A, keeping him, you know, healthy, and B... You know, showing that you care about his well-being and his body. Like, this is part of the sales job to Kawhi as well. And if he, I'm sure he has input anytime he's sitting. And if he doesn't think he's good to play, then I don't see the point in trying to run him out there. Because we've seen that he's a bit, you know, I I don't want to say persnickety. Because it's like his own body. And he should be careful about it. And he should want to... Uh, you know, not be playing when he doesn't feel 100%. Like that's and, and it's he's a free agent this summer. He has like a lot of uh sort of uh, money to be lost if he ends up getting hurt or something like that, or if he's playing when he's not 100% and opening himself up to injury. Like this is not uh you know a, a year where he's got a lot of security, right? And especially if he was to get hurt, you know, I'm sure some team would pay him, but I think some team would be pretty apprehensive if he was to get hurt again this year after playing just nine games last year. So I get why he's being cautious with his body, and I think the Raptors are doing the smart thing by adhering to what Kawhi's concerns are, assuming that he is making his concerns voiced uh, about his playing time and his load and all this stuff. So I don't really begrudge the Raptors for going back on what they thought was going to be, uh, you know, the the first time Kawhi was going to play a back-to-back this season. Uh, And also with it being sort of, again, like I talked about off the top, a bit of a schedule loss where they're changing time zones, which is always sort of a death knell to your chances of winning in the second night of a back-to-back. And considering that, um, you know, Kyle's probably not going to play. Like, this is not a game you're probably going to win regardless. So, and and with the load that Kawhi absorbed last night, playing 38 minutes, coming in to play the last almost nine minutes of the game because the bench was so useless, like, I I, I totally buy into the idea of, of him sitting again tonight. I think eventually he will play a back-to-back. I'm not sure when it'll be. Their next one comes on January 16th and 17th at Boston and then in Phoenix, uh, another travel-y one. Uh, sorry, at Boston and then home to Phoenix. My, my bad about that. Um, like, so they travel again between those back-to-backs. I think maybe we'll see it then, but like if not... He's going to play a back-to-back at some point. If we're at the halfway point of the season and they're already talking about him not uh, resting in the second half of a back-to-back and that's already a part of the conversation, like, he's going to start playing them by the playoffs. And, like, in the playoffs, you don't play back-to-backs anyway, so it's not like we're worried about him missing playoff games for this. It's all about keeping him fresh for the playoffs. And, you know, I know the, the race for the one seed is going to be hotly contested and having home court advantage throughout the playoffs is going to be massively important because all these teams have very good home courts and, you know, all this stuff, and you want to be able to 
have a game five or a game seven at home. But uh, I, I do think the long game is a little bit more important than the seeding. And the Raptors are good enough that they should be able to win a game seven at, at an unfavorable location, um, regardless of who they're playing. And uh, I, like it'll happen at some point. And I don't, I don't see the, the need to be like concerned about it or upset. Uh, honestly, the biggest thing I'm concerned about now is Kyle getting back. And hopefully it's soon. There's been lots of uh, questionable statuses for him ahead of games. And he's been doing workouts ahead of games. So I think sort of the fear that was incited in people last week when the report came out that he had back injections maybe wasn't totally founded because you know I know that with when they said no timetable for return that seems kind of ominous but it does seem like he's probably inching towards a return here Uh, a bit of a light week coming up as well they play Indiana and then they play uh, the Brooklyn Nets sorry the Hawks at home on the 8th and then they have two days off then they play Brooklyn at home so they got three games at home here uh, a couple days off in between I wonder if we'll see Kyle play if not Friday against Brooklyn, then maybe Sunday against Washington in Washington. That could make some sense. Um, so I think we're inching close to the Raptors being at full health. Also, it's been almost a month now since uh, Jonas Valanciunas went out with injury as well. So he should be inching back, not probably by the end of the month, but maybe early February would be a nice ideal time to see him back in the lineup. They miss him desperately, man, because like it's still a matter of Ibaka playing against matchups that aren't entirely favorable. Last night was not the problem there because him and Brooke Lopez, I think that's the matchup you want as opposed to Jonas and Brooke Lopez, which has always been a tough one for Jonas. But there have been a lot of games where Ibaka has been outmatched physically and they just don't have much in the way of, of ways to respond to that so uh i think that's all i got for tonight's game don't worry about the result that much you know they, they won the they won the game against the bucks on the road that was the big one this weekend i think obviously the pacers one is big and the pacers are very much in that race for the one seed somehow um but like they they might not have miles turner as well this is not I'm kind of getting a little bummed out because we've gone almost a month now where you haven't really learned anything about the Raptors because they've been playing so shorthanded. Uh, I would love to see them get back to full health so we can actually learn some more stuff. But hopefully it's coming soon and uh, we will have it all covered for you here on Locked on Raptors. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Apologies if this was a bit of sort of just like a brain diarrhea episode. Uh, you know, sometimes the solo ones are tough. Also, I'm sick and I don't really have any coherent thought or anything like that. I want to stop being sick. It sucks ass. But uh, so that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you, uh, I'm assuming, Monday morning with a breakdown of the Pacers game, although I don't think we'll learn that much, but stay tuned and we will talk about it then. Uh, that's it. Have a good one, everybody. Talk to you soon. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.